You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. finish out the three-part mini-series that we've had in the book of Acts called A Brief History of Crime. Uh, We have looked uh, a couple weeks ago, of course, we're looking at the message that Stephen gave, uh, one of the first deacons uh, to have uh, been called to the deacon ministry, and so he's he's, uh, giving a marvelous message to the uh, Jewish authorities as they're asking him, by what authority are you preaching this message in the temple? Uh, they're not only proclaiming this to Stephen, but other, other Christians as well, but they're really centered in upon Stephen. And he's been giving this long message. And of course, we know in verses 54 through and following to the end of the chapter that uh, Stephen is martyred uh, for, for his uh, stand for Christ. Uh, is, as he's persecuted as the church is being persecuted at this particular point in time in history. And so we saw initially, as uh, Stephen said, he began his message by talking about the crime of jealousy that the patriarchs had against Joseph, uh, as God had called Joseph to do wonderful things. And, uh, and that was actually through Joseph that all of them would be saved, physically saved, of course, Christ is the Savior uh, of, our, of our lives, of our souls, we know. But uh, we saw that happen. We also saw, saw the rebellion that took place uh, with the uh, Hebrews that happened in the, in the wilderness journeys. And now he, uh, Stephen, he is really going to bring all of this home. And we're looking at this final section as we take a look at the modern crimes of resistance. And we want to encourage everyone who can and is able to, to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. Stephen says, now remember also that uh, Saul, who is later known as Paul, he is in the midst, he is in, he is in the people who, is, who, who, is hearing, who are hearing these words of Stephen. And Stephen brings this home. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Well, that'll bless your heart, won't it? <laughs> that'll bless your heart. 
You always resist the Holy Spirit. He says, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have rejected the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that you've given us in Scripture. And Lord, we just simply ask that during this time, Lord, that you would allow me just to simply be your mouthpiece so that I might speak the words that need to be spoken, holding back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. If you really stop and think about it, the sun shines its light at all times. It shines 24 hours a day. It shines 365 days a year. It shines all the time, and the light from the sun never ceases. It's constantly uh, giving forth its rays of light uh, throughout the entire solar system, we know. The problem is with Earth is Earth makes this little spin 24 hours' time, which we know to be a day. And after about 12 hours, we know that a certain part of the Earth shifts to such a degree that there is darkness. But did the sun stop shining while the earth is in darkness? No. The sun continues to shine, does it not? The sun hasn't changed. The earth has changed. Amen? The earth has changed. In like manner, if we think about this, the sun being God, God continuously shines forth His grace. God continually shines forth His love and His mercy. But the reason so often that evil comes into our lives and to the lives of others is not that God has changed, but we have changed. Amen? We have turned our backs to the light of God's grace. We have turned our backs upon Him. And that is exactly what sin is. Sin is our rebellion against God. That's what sin is by the very heart of it. So oftentimes we allow things into our lives that was never God's will, never God's intention for our lives. I think God desires the very best for us. I think God being the loving God that He is desires the very best for us. But so often is the time that we refuse God's grace and there are things that happen into our lives. Now that doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens to our lives is, is a result of something we've done because let's be honest, we live in a fallen world. Because sin has made an impact upon this world, upon God's good creation. Sin has made an impact. I kind of often wondered if mosquitoes came about by the fall of humanity. Because I don't know about you, but they bug me to death. We can go outside, and I guarantee in a few moments' time, there'll be about a half a dozen on my leg just trying to... I don't know what it is about me. I guess I'm just that sweet. You know, Jennifer may disagree with that. <laughs> she may disagree with that wholeheartedly. But, uh, but nonetheless, you know, that's part of living in a fallen world. So we see that as believers, we see as individuals whom God's grace is, is extended towards, we have the opportunity, and I think Stephen clearly shows this in the passage of Scripture, to receive the grace of God that God gives, God initiates. We don't pursue it ourselves. God is pursuing us, and we have the opportunity to respond towards the grace of God or to resist the grace of God given to us. And I think, again, that's what clear, uh, clearly Stephen shows. So there are three 
ways that humanity, I believe, resists God that we have committed so many times modern crimes of resistance. We resist God's Spirit, we often resist God's Savior, and we also resist God's standard that He has given to us. Three ways we resist God. The first way we see is that we modern people and people throughout time resist God's Spirit. Now look what he says in verse 51. Now he doesn't mince any words here. He says stiff-necked and uncircumcised. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But he says, look what he says. He, you always resist who? Who do they resist? What does the text say? Go ahead and shout it out. Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, absolutely. People are resistant to the Holy Spirit. Now, is the Holy Spirit a person? Absolutely, because you just don't resist a force. You resist a person when you resist the Holy Spirit of God. He says you resist the Holy Spirit. That means that they're turning away from the personal presence of God. Adding to the problem, he adds the terms stiff-necked and uncircumcised. Now, what does that mean? It literally means one who is pertaining to a obstinate, stubborn, completely unyielding, someone who will not budge, who has absolutely made a declaration in their life, they will not change no matter what. Have you ever spoken to someone and it be like talking to that door? That no matter what you say... <laughs> That person's going to do what that person's going to do no matter what. Now, Francis is probably looking at me like saying, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> But nonetheless, you know, we all have had people we have encountered in life that are, are just like that. Well, the biblical term for that is stiff-necked. It's someone who is absolutely set in their ways. They're not going to change no matter what you say, no matter what you do. So often it's the case. And you know the frustration that is when you see someone doing something and you're trying to help that person and that person just absolutely will not listen to you. You know the frustration you may have. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a family member. Think about the, the aggravation the Holy Spirit must have with us when we do the same thing to Him. Because the God knows all. He knows all and sees all. Can you imagine the frustration God must have when He sees us heading towards the cliff? We're going to be jumping off that cliff if we don't turn around. And He consistently is reaching out to us, but we still do not listen. Can you imagine the frustration He must go through on a day-to-day -day basis? I know He must go through that with me on a day-to-day -day basis. But the form of the term we see here is also, he says, it's uncircumcised. Now, circumcision was a requirement for male Jews as it identified them with God and their trust in God. Now, circumcision for male Jews was much like what we do with baptism. The circumcision didn't save them, but it was an outward representation of an inward transformation that had happened in their heart and their lives. And as Baptists, we believe in believer's baptism, that we, that we immerse individuals representing symbolically, that is, of the transformation that has happened in a person's life. Moses even said in Deuteronomy 10.16, writing to the Hebrews, saying, Therefore, circumcise your hearts... And don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribes. Now, we often will say we have accepted uh, Jesus into our heart, but what does that literally mean? Does that mean that you can take our hearts and you can just rip open our hearts and find a little miniature Jesus in there? Is that what that means? Well, of course not. In first century understanding, the heart meant a person's, it was a place where a person's choices, 
where a person's will and where their emotions were found. They believed it to be in a person's heart because that made up the very center of a person. What a person decides, how will they decide to do certain things? How will they choose to do certain things? How will they live their lives? So when we say that we've accepted Jesus into our hearts, we're saying that we have made him the Lord of our lives, that we consult him when we get ready to make a decision. We consult him about problems that we may be facing in life or maybe fellow individuals have in life. We, we trust him and depend upon his guidance and his leadership, his leadership uh, in whatever we do and whatever we say. So to be uncircumcised of heart means that they had really not trusted Jesus as their Savior or had really not trusted God at this point is what Stephen's saying to the, first, to the, uh, to the uh, early leaders. But he's also saying uncircumcised of ears, meaning that they were not hearing what God was trying to tell them. Guys, how many of you are like me and have been told that you have selective hearing? Anyone in here? I see a few hands. <laughs> well, what does that mean? <laughs> Francis said that <laughs> What does that mean? Well, Jennifer says that if she asks me to do a chore, I immediately go deaf. If she asks me to take out the trash, it's like I, I go deaf automatically. Or if I, you know, or do something like that. But the moment it's time for supper, my hearing comes back. <laughs> Anyone else like that? My hearing autom automatically comes back at that time. Again, beloved, this is what Stephen is saying that we do so often to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is personal. And his personal nature is shown in the fact that he brings people to repentance in Ezekiel 18. His creation of a person's new heart in Jeremiah 31. His work in bringing Jesus to earth in Luke 1.15. The anointing of Jesus' ministry in Luke 3.22. Bringing forth new life to the believer in John 1 and chapter 3. It will come with Jesus at the second coming in John 16. Provide spiritual gifts to the church. You know, the spiritual gifts that he provides us don't come from ourselves they come from the Holy Spirit of God and he provides us all spiritual gifts so that we can minister to his people and to the world at large it's the gift of God he provides the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And the Spirit assures the believer of the indwelling presence of Jesus in 1 John 3, 24. If you have the Spirit of God in your heart and your life, beloved, you can know that you are saved. Amen? You can have that assurance. You don't have to go in life doubting and wondering whether or not you're saved. If you have the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart and your life, you can know that you know that you know that you have been born again. Amen? And aren't you glad of that? You don't, have to, you don't have to worry when death comes whether or not you're going to get into heaven. If you have the Holy Spirit of God and you've received the salvation of Christ, you can know with certainty that you're going to heaven. People, families, churches, communities, we have an opportunity to listen to the Holy Spirit or to resist the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul warns us not to quench the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians. When we listen to the Holy Spirit, we receive the blessings of God. We receive the blessings of God. We, we find salvation. We find fruit in our lives. We find peace, contentment, and direction. But when we resist and rebel against the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves in lostness. We find ourselves in curses that we bring upon ourselves. We find ourselves making bad decisions. We find ourselves in the midst of strife and discontent and wavering. A lot of times people become, when they don't listen to the Holy Spirit, they become like a boat without a sail, 
and without a rudder. Have you ever seen a boat like that? It's just tossing to and fro in the water with no direction whatsoever. The Holy Spirit gives us direction. The Holy Spirit gives us purpose. And we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and not quench the Spirit of God as found in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It means that we need to see what the Spirit is doing around us and get on board with that. We need to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying and be obedient to what He is saying in our lives. But not only are people resistant to God's Spirit, but they're also resistant to God's Savior in verse 52. Now he goes back and says, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Talking about some of the ancient prophets, how they were persecuted for their message. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, who is Jesus, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, he says. So Stephen links together some of the... the, the, uh, uh, persecutions of the prophets of old. He also links that with the the rebellion that they had against Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, the Savior of all mankind, of whom there is no other. There is only one Savior, and that's Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? He is the only Savior of the world. It kind of reminds me, uh, it's so interesting that people miss the clear plan of God. And we think about this as we look at the prophecies that God had given. Sometimes, if you're going with us in, on Wednesday nights through the book of Daniel, we just saw last week the amazing prophecies that, that were found in the book of Daniel, uh, even showing these four different kingdoms that would come and the establishment of God's kingdom, even in this fourth kingdom, in the, in the kingdom of Rome. And it's absolutely amazing. Only God could have done something like that as he did, showing in clear detail what was to take place. But so often it's the case that people miss the moving of God when it's just right in front of their faces. It kind of reminds me of a story I heard of one Felix Mendelssohn. Felix Mendelssohn was a great composer, great musician in Germany. There was this one cathedral that had spent a million dollars on this organ. This organ was the most elaborate organ you can imagine. The pipes were amazing and it was just thunderous when you played this organ. It was thunderous. It would reverberate the sound all throughout this cathedral. Just a spectacular sound. Well, there was this caretaker who was set over this organ and they told him, take care of this organ. We've paid a million dollars for this thing. We've got to make sure this lasts a long time. That's a lot of money we put in this organ. So Felix Mendelssohn, unbeknownst to this caretaker, walks off the street, comes inside, looks at this marvelous musical instrument, and asks the caretaker, saying, can I please play this organ? The caretaker says, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. I've just put in, been put in charge of this. I don't know you. You just came off the street. I can't let you play the organ. I don't know you. Again, Mendelssohn says, please, can I please play this organ? I want to see what it sounds like. I want, to, I want to play some music on it. And the caretaker says, no, 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 no. I can't let you do that. I have no clue who you are. I don't, just can't do that. Three or four times, Felix Mendelssohn asked this individual, this caretaker, if he could please play the organ until finally the caretaker says, okay, I'll tell you what. You have two minutes. And if you mess it up, it's on you. I'm just going to tell you this. You have two minutes. And then when Mendelssohn sat down, he played some of the most beautiful music the caretaker had ever heard. And it was so beautiful that other people in the cathedral came by and they all started whispering to one another, that's Felix Mendelssohn, the great composer, that's Felix Mendelssohn. And then it hit the caretaker at that moment who this was. 
that this wasn't just an ordinary person off the street. This was a guy who was a, who was a highly skilled musician and playing sounds like he wouldn't believe. So often it's the case that we miss the clear moving of God and we, we, we often, so many people, as Ashley mentioned a while ago, miss the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. But I truly believe, beloved, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so it's God's desire that people are saved. And that's just like what the choir just sung a few moments ago. We must carry the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into this lost and dying world so that people will hear the message, would be convicted by the Holy Spirit, and would come to salvation. When they are resistant to God's Spirit, they are resistant to God's Messiah, and that brings a lot of problems in a person's life. And obviously, to reject Jesus is to reject God, as Jesus is God come in flesh. Last but certainly not least, modern people, Stephen shows, resist God's standard as given in verse 53. He says, Who have received the law, the law of God, by the direction of angels, and have not kept it. Now, Steve, we don't see this in the Old Testament. We don't, we don't see in the Old Testament where angels are involved in the giving of the law. But Paul, Stephen here, as well as the author of Hebrews, which may be Paul again, not really sure, but it may be Paul, they all show that the message was given by God and distributed by angels, delivered many times, oftentimes by angels. Stephen notes first and foremost that they receive the law, which means that the law, this book... If you have a Bible, hold it up. I want you to hold it up in a moment. This is not just a bunch of people's opinions. If what Stephen is saying is true, this is the very Word of God given to us, God's revelation given to us from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And beloved, I want to tell you there's a lot of bad things that happen when we resist the Word of God. We resist the standards of God. We bring so many bad things upon ourselves that God did not intend. We see that this was given through angels. Uh, Galatians 3.19, the law was put in effect through angels by means of a mediator. Hebrews 2, uh, verse 2 through 3 also says this as well. But again, I say when we resist God's standards, we bring a lot of bad things in our lives. I, was listening, I listen a lot of times to uh, Greg Kokel. He has a podcast called Stand to Reason. It's, it's on the air. It's on several radio stations, I think, on Sunday afternoons. But you can catch his podcast. If you're into podcasting, he has a podcast that he uh, distributes every, I think it's Wednesday and Friday, if I'm not mistaken. But on a recent podcast, he spoke of this guy by the name of Jeff Hood, who is a former Southern Baptist Convention minister, who is... It's crazy. Our world is just getting crazier and crazier all the time. He is promoting what is called, this Jeff Hood is, not Greg Kokel. He is promoting what's called polyamory. You know what that is? That you can have multiple lovers. You can have your spouse and multiple lovers and still be married and that be okay. And he is going throughout the nation promoting this thing called polyamory because you know what's happened? He has twisted the Scripture to make it say things that it does not say. Amen? I don't know about you, but I've never found God promoting that in this Word. If anything, if you look back in the Old Testament days with Abraham, you see the disaster that comes uh, with with, uh, tactics like that. But he not only does this, but he goes to these rallies, and he's even given messages that have incited violence against our men and women in the armed armed forces, also, let me, excuse me, men and women in the police force. 
Because of his very words, there have been violence that has erupted in Dallas, Texas by his very words. He's even apologized a couple of times. But this also made me think back. I was listening to, I didn't go to the conference this year down in Charlotte, but I listened to a debate by Dan Barker, who is uh, the president of the Freedom From Religion. They're that pesky organization that keeps suing people. They sue Bible clubs. They sue colleges and universities. And I listened to his testimony. Did you know he used to be a preacher? Dan Barker did. He used to be a preacher. And they interviewed him, and uh, they had a debate between he and a guy named Richard Howe. Let me just say Richard Howe just completely won that upside down, and there's no question about that. The only thing Barker finally came to say, he said, I don't need you to tell me that I have to believe in God. That was basically his only argument. <laughs> I don't need someone telling me that I have to believe in God. He gave his testimony, though, and this is really telling. He started down this path when he started taking things out of the Word of God. When he started loosening his views on what the Bible said here and what the Bible said there, he found himself going down this, this slippery slope. He looked at one section and says, Well, Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Uh, they're corrupt. Uh, that must not be true. So he goes down this path. He looks at another section. Well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Well, maybe it was just a hallucination. Maybe he didn't really rise from the dead. goes down a path. The virgin birth. Well, maybe, maybe just something else happened. It wasn't exactly the way the Bible said it was. Keeps going down this progression. He keeps going and he keeps going and he keeps going until he ends up finding himself an atheist, fighting against the very faith that he once held. Beloved, when we resist God's standards... We bring problems into our lives and in the lives of others. Amen? And I'm going to tell you that when we start down this slippery slope, time and time and time again, we see that there are bad things that happen when we start taking apart the Word of God, when we start disbelieving the standards that God has given us. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Do we really love the Lord? Now, it's easy to say on Sunday mornings, oh, how I love Jesus. But do we show it on our walk Monday through Saturday? Can people see the light of Christ in our lives? Can they see our daily walk with Jesus, not just when we're in church, but when we're out at work, at play, at whatever we do? Do they see the light of Christ in our lives? This is something we have to ask ourselves each and every day because, beloved, we live in a time when our faith is under attack so oftentimes. And it's more important now. It's always been important, but it's more important now than it's ever been that we shine the light of Christ, that we be the salt and light of Christ in a lost and dying world. You see, the very fact of it is, is that without God's Word, we have no foundation whatsoever. On Greg Kokel's podcast, I may have you interested in the podcast after this, uh, Kokel interviewed, by the way, I don't agree with him on everything, but I, I think he does a good job on most things. Kokel interviewed a guy by the name of Justin Brierley, who has this show that comes on uh, in London, England. It's called uh, Unbelievable with a question mark. And what Justin Brierley does is he is a Christian who interviews different people from different walks of life. And he even interviewed this atheist by the name of uh, Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins was simply saying, he just simply said that uh, morality was just a person's opinion. That's what he said because he has rejected the Word of God. He has rejected God. He's rejected God's standards. So the only thing he has to base his morality on is just personal opinion. 
It may be your opinion that stealing is wrong, but it may not be my opinion that stealing is wrong, is what he says. Well, then Justin Briarly asked him this question. He says, well, how do you justify rape and, uh, and, and, um, and, and, um, and the sexual trafficking that we see? How do you justify that being wrong in your worldview? And you know what Dawkins said? I prefer not to answer that question. <laughs> you know, he had no other choice but to say, I, have no, I don't want to answer that question because if morality is simply by our opinions, then, beloved, we have no standard whatsoever. But if there is a God... And if he has given us his word in this written revelation known as the Bible, true, I believe, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, then we are standing upon a rock that will never be crumbled. We are standing upon the rock, but if we rebel against God's spirit, if we rebel against God's Savior, if we rebel against God's standards, we find ourselves on sinking sand. So, beloved, my plea for you today is very simple. Number one, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would listen to the Spirit of God who is, who is, who is uh, prodding your heart even now, that you would come to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have uh, something in your life that you want to give over to Christ. We encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let Him evaluate your life and see if there be anything in your life that stands between you and Him and, and give it over to Him. You know what? God loves us unconditionally. And He is always willing to come and forgive us, to, to help us along life's way. But we just need to be receptive in listening to His Spirit. Have we received God's Spirit? Have we received God's Savior? Do we stand by the standards that God has given us in His Word? I would challenge you with that this morning. If you're here today and maybe you'd like to join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church, we encourage you to do that as well. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and in your life, we just ask that you come as the Spirit calls. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you do for us and all that you continue to do for us. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is one who loves us and who, and who uh, uh, prods our heart to bring us to salvation, who prods our heart to bring us to repentance, who, who, who prods our heart, woos us into that saving relationship that we could not find on our own. In order for someone here today, maybe they have something going on in their life, maybe they have someone else they would like to pray for, whatever is going on in each and every heart today, we just ask that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation, and we'll give you all the thanks and glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? To number 275, I surrender all.
all the time. Again, we want to welcome each and every one of you uh, to join us again Wednesday night, Bible study. We want to thank Philip again for covering for me this Wednesday night. Uh, be much in prayer for me. Be much in prayer for Jennifer and Grayson as well uh, this upcoming week. Uh, we hope to see you back next Sunday. Looking forward to that as well. And so uh, if all hearts are free, we're going to ask Brother Reese if he would to close this with a word of on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childer saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. In his lifetime, Charles Spurgeon preached to over 10 million people, and his sermons have been changing millions more ever since. The CSB Spurgeon Study Bible weaves thousands of his words, notes, and excerpts into a rich daily study experience designed to bring to life the words of Charles Spurgeon alongside the words he loved and cherished his entire life. No one would be more surprised than Spurgeon to discover such a thing as the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. And yet I think he would be both surprised and delighted. I would say that Spurgeon, as much as any preacher of an earlier era, has impacted my pastoral ministry. Not in terms of the actual content itself, as much as the approach to scripture, as it were, on his knees. It's a material that has stood the test of time. And so for it to be encapsulated in this one form uh, is, is just a terrific resource. And I think that what it's going to do is broaden the understanding of the Bible and at the same time give to people an understanding of Spurgeon. With a rich and beautiful design, the Spurgeon Study Bible introduces readers to the insights and wisdom of Spurgeon as a pastoral guide through the Bible that includes his writings, journal entries, lost sermons, and resources not available anywhere else. For someone who's barely heard the name Spurgeon and perhaps has never even read anything that he wrote, the study Bible is going to be a revelation. Right there, page by page, book by book, they are introduced to Spurgeon at his very best. One of the things that will be immediately attractive to them is the fact that they will see Spurgeon's own handwriting within the prints of the Bible.
so that not only did they have his comments, but they have his comments as they were originally written down. It is immediately appealing to the eye, as well as uh, you know, rewarding to the mind. For the student of uh, scripture and the lover of Spurgeon, it's a treasure trove. Throughout his life, Spurgeon gave himself to knowing, loving, and proclaiming the truth of Christ. Each edit and inclusion in the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible follows this passion that every reader might get into the very heart of the Word of God. There's a certain element in this study Bible that causes the reader to feel almost that they are inhabiting the time of Spurgeon himself. It's clearly all about the one whom he longs to preach and proclaim. This is the great value that is to be found in the material. I hope that this study Bible is going to introduce a whole new group of people to Spurgeon himself and to the influence that he had, and that because the heart of man is the same no matter where he finds himself or she finds herself. And Spurgeon's timeliness, indeed his timelessness, is that. Experience God's Word and the legacy of Charles Spurgeon. To find out more, visit csbspurgeonstudybible.com. first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence.